Chapter Seven of Lad, a Dog, by Albert Payson Terhune. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Chapter Seven, The Throwback. The place was nine miles north of the county seat of Patterson, and yearly near Patterson was held the great North Jersey Livestock Fair a fair whose awards established for the next twelve month the local rank of purebred cattle and sheep and pigs for thirty miles in either direction from the ramapo hill pastures south of suffern two days before the fair descended a flock of twenty prize sheep the playthings of a man to whom the title of wall street farmer had a lure of its own a lure that cost him something like thirty thousand dollars a year and which made him a scourge to all his few friends among these luckless friends chanced to be the mistress and the master of the place and the gentleman farmer had decided to break his sheep's fairward journey by a twenty-four hour stop at the place the master duly apprised of the sorry honor planned for his home set aside a disused horse paddock for the woolly visitor's use into this their shepherd drove his dusty and bleeding charges on their arrival the shepherd was a sombre scot nature had begun the work of somberness in his highland heart the duty of working for the wall street farmer had added tenfold to his natural tendency his name was mcgillicuddy and he looked it now in northern jersey a live sheep is well nigh as rare as a pterodactyl this flock of twenty had cost their owner their weight in merino wool a dog especially a collie that does not know sheep is prone to consider them his lawful prey in other words the sight of a sheep has turned many an otherwise law-abiding dog into a killer to avoid so black a smirch on the place's hospitality the master had loaded all his collies except lad into the car and had them shipped off that morning for a three-day sojourn at the boarding kennels ten miles away does the old dog go too sir asked the place's foreman with a questioning nod at lad after he had lifted the others into the tonneau lad was viewing the proceedings from the top of the veranda steps the master looked at him then at the car and answered no lad has more right here than any measly imported sheep he won't bother them if i tell him not to let him stay the sheep convoyed by the misanthropic mcgillicuddy filed down the drive from the high road an hour later and were marshalled into the corral as the jostling procession followed by its dour shepherd turned in at the gate of the place lad rose from his rug on the veranda his nostrils itching with the unfamiliar odor his soft eyes outraged by the bizarre sight he set forth to drive the intruders out into the main road head lowered he ran uttering no sound this seemed to him an emergency which called for drastic measures rather than for monitory barking for all he knew these twenty fat woolly white things might be fighters who would attack him in a body and who might even menace the safety of his gods and the glum mcgillicuddy did not impress him at all favorably hence the silent charge at the foe a charge launched with the speed and terrible menace of a thunderbolt mcgillicuddy sprang swiftly to the front of his flock the staff upwhirled but before the staff could descend on the furry defender of the place a sweet voice called imperiously to the dog the mistress had come out upon the veranda and had seen lad dash to the attack lad she cried lad the great dog halted midway in his rush down called the mistress leave them alone 
do you hear lad leave them alone come back here lad heard and lad obeyed lad always obeyed if these twenty malodorous strangers and their staff brandishing guide were friends of the mistress he must not drive them away the order leave them alone was one that could not be disregarded trembling with anger yet with no thought of rebelling lad turned and trotted back to the veranda he thrust his cold nose into the mistress's warm little hand and looked up eagerly into her face seeking a repeal of the command to keep away from the sheep and their driver but the mistress only patted his silken head and whispered we don't like it any more than you do laddie but we mustn't let anyone know we don't leave them alone past the veranda filed the twenty priceless sheep and on to the paddock i suppose they'll carry off all the prizes at the fair won't they asked the mistress civilly as mcgillicuddy plodded past her at the tail of the procession ablin's eye grunted mcgillicuddy with the exquisite courtesy of a member of his race and class who feels he is being patronized ablin's eye ablin's nigh ablin's ugh having thus safeguarded his statement against assault from any side at all the scot moved on lad strolled down toward the paddock to superintend the task of locking up the sheep the mistress did not detain him she felt calmly certain her order of leave them alone had rendered the twenty visitors inviolate from him lad walked slowly around the paddock his gaze on the sheep these were the first sheep he had ever seen yet his ancestors for a thousand years or more had herded and guarded flocks on the moors atavism is mysteriously powerful in dogs and it takes strange forms a collie too has a queer strain of wolf in him not only in body but in brain and the wolf was the sheep's official murderer as far back as the days when a humpbacked greek slave named aesop used to beguile his sleepless nights with writing fables round and round the paddock proud lad his eyes alight with a myriad half-memories his sensitive nostrils quivering at the scents that enveloped them mcgillicuddy from time to time eyed the dog obliquely and with a scowl these sheep were not the pride of his heart his conscientious heart possessed no pride pride being one of the seven deadly sins and the sheep not being his own but the flock represented his livelihood his comfortably overpaid job with the wall street farmer he was responsible for their welfare and mcgillicuddy did not at all like the way this beautiful collie eyed the prize merinos nor was the scot satisfied with the strength of the corral its wire fencing was rusty and sagging from long disuse its gate hung crookedly and had a crazy hasp a sheep is one of the least intelligent creatures on earth should the flock's leader decide at any time during the night to press his heavy bulk against the gate or against some of the rustier wire strands there would presently be a gap through which the entire twenty could amble forth once outside again mcgillicuddy glowered dourly at lad the collie returned a look with interest a well-bred dog being as skilled in reading human faces as is any professional deadbeat lad saw the dislike in mcgillicuddy's heavy thatched eyes cordially he yearned to prove his own distaste for the shepherd but the mistress's command had immuned the sour stranger so lad merely turned his back on the man sat down flattened his furry ears close against his head thrust his pointed nose skyward and sniffed mcgillicuddy was too much an animal man not to read the insult in the dog's posture and action and the shepherd's fist tightened longingly round his staff half an hour later the wall street farmer himself arrived at the place he came in a roundabout on the seat beside him sat his pasty-faced four-year-old son at his feet was something which at first glance 
might have been either a quadruped or a rag-bag the mistress and the master with dutiful hypocrisy came smiling out on the veranda to welcome the guests lad who had returned from the impromptu sheepfold stood beside them at sight and scent of this new batch of visitors the collie doubtless felt what old-fashioned novelists used to describe as mingled emotions there was a child in the car and though there had been few children in lad's life yet he loved them loved them as a big-hearted and big-bodied dog always loves the helpless wherefore at the sight of the child lad rejoiced but the animal crouching at the wall street farmer's feet was quite a different form of guest lad recognized the thing as a dog yet no such dog as ever he had seen an unwholesome-looking dog even as the little boy was an unwholesome-looking child well sonorously proclaimed the wall street farmer as he scrambled out of the runabout and bore down upon his guests here i am the sheep got here all safe good i knew they would McGillicuddy's a genius nothing he can't do with sheep you remember mortimer lifting the lanky youngster from the seat he teased so to come along his mother said i'd better bring him i knew you'd be glad shake hands with them morty darling i won't snarled morty darling hanging back then he caught sight of lad the collie came straight up to the child grinning from ear to ear and wrinkling his nose so delightedly every white front tooth showed morty flung himself forward to greet the huge dog but the wall street farmer with a shout of warning caught the boy in his arms and bravely interposed his own fat body between mortimer and lad what does the beast mean by snarling at my son fiercely demanded the wall street farmer you people have no right to leave such a savage dog at large he's not snarling the mistress indignantly declared he's smiling that's lad's way why he let himself be cut up into squares sooner than hurt a child still doubtful the wall street farmer cautiously set down his son on the veranda morty flung himself bodily upon lad hauling and mauling the stately collie this way and that had any grown person save only the mistress or the master attempted such treatment the curving white eye-teeth would have buried themselves very promptly in the offender indeed the master now gazed with some nervousness at the performance but the mistress was not worried as to her adored pet's behavior and the mistress as ever was right for lad endured the mauling not patiently but blissfully he fairly writhed with delight at the painful tugging of hair and ears and moistly he strove to kiss the wizened little face that was on a level with his own morty repaid this attention by slapping lad across the mouth lad only wagged his plumy tail the more ecstatically and snuggled closer to the preposterous baby meantime the wall street farmer in clarion tones was calling attention to the second of the two treasures he had brought along melisande he cried at the summons the fuzzy monstrosity in the car ceased peering snappishly over the door-top at lad and condescended to turn toward its owner it looked like something between an old english sheepdog and a dachshund straw-colored fur enveloped the scrawny body a miserable apology for a bushy tail hung limply between crooked hind legs evil little eyes peered forth from beneath a scarecrow stubble of head fringe it was not a pretty dog this canine the wall street farmer had just addressed by the poetic title of melisande what in blazes is he asked the master she is a prussian sheep-dog proudly replied the wall street farmer she is the first of her breed ever imported to america cost me a clean eleven hundred dollars to buy her from a chicago man who brought her over 
I'm going to exhibit her at the garden show next winter. What do you think of her, old man? I'd hate to tell you, said the master, but I'll gladly tell you what I think of that Chicago man. He's the original genius who sold all the land between New York and Jersey City for a thousand dollars an acre, and issued the series of ten-dollar season admission tickets to Central Park. Being the Wall Street farmer's host, the master said this in the recesses of his own heart. Aloud, he blithered some complimentary lie, and watched the visitor lift the scraggy nondescript out of the car. The moment she was on the ground, Melisande made a wild dash at Lad. Snarling, she snapped ferociously at his throat. Lad merely turned his shaggy shoulder to meet the onslaught, and Melisande found herself gripping nothing but a mouthful of his soft hair. He made no move to resent the attack, and the Wall Street farmer, shouting unobeyed mandates to his pet, dragged away the pugnacious Melisande by the scruff of the neck. The $1,100 Prussian sheepdog next caught a glimpse of one of the half-grown peacock chicks, the joy of the mistress's summer, strutting across the lawn. Melisande, with a yap of glee, rushed off in pursuit. The chick had no fear. The dogs at the place had always been trained to give the fowls a wide berth, so the pretty little peacock fell a pitifully easy prey to the first snap of Melisande's jaws. Lad growled, deep down in his throat, at this gross lawlessness. The mistress bit her lip to keep her self-control at the slaughter of her pet. The master hastily said something that was lost in the louder volume of the Wall Street farmer's bellow, as he sought to call back his $1,100 treasure from further slaying. "'Well, well, well!' the guest exclaimed, as at last he returned to the veranda, dragging Melisande along in his wake. "'I'm sorry this happened, but you must overlook it. You see, Melisande is so high-spirited, she is hard to control. That's the way with thoroughbred dogs. Don't you find it so?' The master, thus appealed to, glanced at his wife. She was momentarily out of earshot, having gone to pick up the killed peacock and stroke its rumpled plumage so the master allowed himself the luxury of plainer speech than if she had been there to be grieved over the breach of hospitality. A thoroughbred dog, he said oracularly, is either the best dog on earth, or else he is the worst. If he is the best, he learns to mind, and to behave himself in every way like a thoroughbred. He learns it without being beaten or sworn at. If he is the worst, then it's wisest for his owner to hunt up some easy mark, and sell the cur to him for eleven hundred dollars. You'll notice I said his owner, not his master. There's all the difference in the world between those two terms. Anybody with price to buy a dog can be an owner, but all the cash coined won't make a man a dog's master, unless he's that sort of man. Think it over. The Wall Street farmer glared apoplectically at his host. He was already sorry that the sneer at Lad and the killing of his wife's pet and made him speak so to a guest, even to a self-invited and undesired guest. Then the Wall Street man, with a grunt, put a leash on Melisande, and gruffly asked that she be fastened to one of the vacant kennels. The mistress came back to the group as the $1,100 beast was led away, kennelward, by the gardener. Recovering her self-possession, the mistress said to her guest, "'I never heard of a Prussian sheepdog before. Is she trained to herd your sheep?' no replied the wall street farmer his rancor forgotten in the prospect of exploiting his wondrous dog not yet in fact she hates the sheep she's young so we haven't tried to train her for shepherding two or three times we have taken her into the pasture always on leash 
but she flies at the sheep and goes almost crazy with anger McGillicuddy says it's bad for the sheep to be scared by her so we keep her away from them but by next season he got no further a sound of lamentation prolonged and leather-lunged lamentation smote upon the air morty ejaculated the visitor in panic it's morty quick following the easily traceable direction of the squalling he ran up the veranda steps and into the house closely followed by the mistress and the master the engaging mortimer was of the stuff whereof explorers are made no pent-up utica nor veranda contracted his powers bored by the stupid talk of grown folk wearying of lad's friendly advances he had slipped through the open house door into the living-room there for the day was cool a jolly wood-fire blazed on the hearth in front of the fireplace was an enormous and cavernous couch in the precise centre of the couch was curled something that looked like a ball of the grayish fluff a maid sweeps under the bed as mortimer came into the room the infatuated lad at his heels the fluffy ball lazily uncurled and stretched thereby revealing itself as no ball but a super furry gray kitten the mistress's temperamental new persian kitten rejoicing in the dreamily oriental name of tipperary with a squeal of glad discovery mortimer grabbed tipperary with both hands essaying to pull her fox-brush tail now no sane person needs to be told the basic difference between the heart of a cat and the heart of a dog nor will any student of persian kittens be surprised to hear that tipperary's reception of the ruffianly baby's advances was totally different from lad's a lightning stroke of one of her shapeless forepaws and tipperary was free morty stood blinking in amaze at four geometrically regular red marks on the back of his own pudgy hand tipperary had not done her persecutor the honor to run away she merely moved to the far end of the couch and lay down there to renew her nap a mad fury fired the brain of mortimer a fury goaded by the pain of his scratches screaming in rage he seized the cat by the nape of the neck to be safe from teeth and whizzing claws and stamped across toward the high burning fire with her his arm was drawn back to fling the squirming and offending kitten into the scarlet heart of the flames and then lad intervened now lad was not in the very least interested in tipperary treating the temperamental persian always with marked coldness it is even doubtful if he realized morty's intent but one thing he did realize the silly baby was toddling straight toward the fire as many another wise dog has gone before and since lad quietly stepped between morty and the hearth he stood broadside to the fire and to the child a shaggy wall between the peril and the baby but so quickly had anger carried mortimer toward the hearth the dog had not been able to block his progress until only a bare eighteen inches separated the youngster from the blaze thus lad found the heat from the burning logs all but intolerable it bit through his thick coat and into the tender flesh beneath like a rock he stood there mortimer his gentle plan of kitten killing foiled redoubled his screeches lad's back was higher than the child's eyes yet morty sought to hurl the kitten over the stolid barrier into the fire tipperary fell short landing on the dog's shoulders digging her needle claws viciously therein and thence leaping to the floor from which she sprang to the top of the bookshelves spitting back blasphemously at her tormentor morty's interest in the fire had been purely as a piece of immolation for the cat finding his path to it barred he straightway resolved to go thither himself he started to move around to it in front of lad 
the dog took a forward step that again barred the way wordy went insane with wrath at this new interference with his sweet plans his howls swelled to a sustained roar that reached the ears of the grown-ups on the lawn he flew at lad beating the dog with all the puny force of his fists sinking his milk teeth into the collie's back wrenching and tearing at the thick fur stamping with his booted heels upon the absurdly tiny white forepaws kicking the short ribs and the tender stomach never for an instant did the child slacken his howls as he punished the dog that was saving him from death rather he increased their volume from moment to moment lad did not stir the kicking and beating and gouging and hair-pulling were not pleasant but they were wholly bearable the heat was not the smell of singed hair began to fill the room but lad stood firm and then in rushed the relief expedition the wall street farmer at its head at once concluding that lad had bitten his son's bleeding hand the irate father swung aloft a chair and strode to the rescue lad saw him coming with the lightning swiftness of his kind he whirled to one side as the massive wood descended the chair missed him by a fraction of an inch and splintered into pieces it was a chippendale and had belonged to the mistress's great-grandparents for the first time in all his blameless life lad broke the sacred guest law by growling at a vouched-for visitor but surely this fat bellower was no guest lad looked at his gods for information down lad said the master very gently his voice not quite steady lad perplexed but obedient dropped to the floor the brute tried to kill my boy stormed the wall street farmer right dramatically as he caught the howling morty up in his arms to study the extent of the wound he's my guest he's my guest he's my guest the master was saying over and over to himself lord help me to keep on remembering he's my guest the mistress came forward lad would sooner die than hurt a child she declared trying not to think of the wrecked heirloom chair he loves children here let me see morty's hand why those are claw marks cat scratches ve nasty cat scratched me bawled morty kill her daddy i tried to i tried to throw her in the fire but ve miserable dog wouldn't let me kill her daddy kill ve dog too the master's mouth flew wide open won't you go down to the paddock dear hastily interposed the mistress and see if the sheep are all right take lad along with you lad alone of all the place's dogs had the run of the house night and day of the sacred dining-room during the rest of that day he did not avail himself of his high privilege he kept out of the way perplexed woe begone his burns still paining him despite the master's ministrations after talking long and loudly all evening of his sheep's peerless quality and of their certain victory over all comers in the fair the wall street farmer consented at last to go to bed and silence settled over the place in the black hour before dawn the same silence was split in a score of places split into a most horrible cacophony of sound that sent sleep scampering to the winds it was the mingling of yells and bleats and barks and the scurry of many feet it burst out all at once in full force lasting for some seconds with increasing clangor then died to stillness by that time every human on the place was out of bed in more or less rudimentary attire the house's inhabitants trooped down into the lower hall there 
the wall street farmer was raving noisily and was yanking at a door-bolt whose secret he could not fathom it's my sheep he shouted that accursed dog of yours has gotten at them he's slaughtering them i heard the poor things bleeding and i heard them snarling among them they cost me if you're speaking of lad blazed the master he's here are the flashlights interposed the mistress let me open that door for you i understand the bolt out into the dark they went all but colliding with mcgillicuddy the scot awakened like the rest had gone to the paddock he had now come back to report the paddock empty and all the sheep gone it's the collie tyke sputtered mcgillicuddy i'll take oath to it i ken it's him i suspicioned him along from how he garred at or sheep the day he i said so roared the wall street farmer the murderous brute first he tries to kill morty and now he slaughters my sheep you the master started to speak but a white little hand in the darkness was laid gently across his mouth you told me he always slept under the piano in your music room accused the guest as the four made their way paddockward lighting a path with the electric flashlights while well, i look there just now he isn't under the piano he he lad called the master then at the top of his lungs lad a distant growl a snarl a yelp a scramble and presently lad appeared in the farthest radius of the flashlight flare for only a moment he stood there then he wheeled about and vanished in the dark nor had the master the voice to call him back the momentary glimpse of the great collie in the merciless gleam of the lights had stricken the whole party into an instant's speechlessness vividly distinct against the darkness they had seen lad his well-groomed coat was rumpled his eyes were fireballs and his jaws were red with blood then he had vanished a groan from the master a groan of heartbreak was the first sound from the four the dog he loved was a killer it isn't true it isn't true stoutly declared the mistress the wall street farmer and mcgillicuddy had already broken into a run the shepherd had found the tracks of many little hoofs on the dewy ground and he was following the trail the guest swearing and panting was behind him the mistress and the master brought up the rear at every step they peered fearfully around them for what they had dreaded to see the mangled body of some slain sheep but they saw none and they followed the trail in a quarter mile they came to its end all four flashlights played simultaneously upon a tiny hillock that rose from the meadow at the forest edge the hillock was usually green now it was white around its short slopes was huddled a flock of sheep as close ringed as though by a fence at the hillock's summit sat lad he was sitting there in a queer attitude one of his snowy forepaws pinning something to the ground something that could not be clearly distinguished through the huddle but which evidently was no sheep the wall street farmer broke the tense silence with a gobbled exclamation wished half reverently interrupted the shepherd who had been circling the hillock on census duty there's not a sheep gone nor so far as i can see a sheep herded the foot twenty is here the master's flashlight found a gap through which its rays could reach the hillock crest the light revealed under lad's gently pinioning forepaw the crouching and badly scared melisande the eleven hundred dollar prussian sheepdog mcgillicuddy with a grunt was off on another and longer tour of inspection presently he came back he was breathing hard even before mcgillicuddy made his report the master had guessed at the main points of the mystery's solution 
Melisande, weary of captivity, had gnawed through her leash. Seeking sport, she had gone to the paddock. There she had easily worried loose the crazy gate-latch. Just as she was wriggling through, Lad appeared from the veranda. He had tried to drive back the would-be killer from her prey. Lad was a veteran of several battles. But, apart from her sex, Melisande was no opponent for him, and he had treated her accordingly. Melisande had snapped at him, cutting him deeply in the underjaw. During the scrimmage the panic-urged sheep had bolted out of the paddock and had scattered. Remember, please, that Lad, ten hours earlier, had never in his life seen a sheep. But remember, too, that a million of his ancestors had won their right to a livelihood by their almost supernatural skill at herding flocks. Let this explanation what actually happened, the throwback of a great collie's instinct. Driving the scared and subdued Melisande before him, and ever hampered by her unwelcome presence, Lad proceeded to round up the scattered sheep. He was in the midst of the process when the master called him. Merely galloping back for an instant, and finding the summons was not repeated, he returned to his atavistic task. In less than five minutes the twenty scampering runaways were ringed on the hillock, and, still keeping the Prussian sheepdog out of mischief, Lad established himself in the ring's center. Further than that, in the keeping of the ring intact, his primal instincts did not serve him. Having rounded up his flock, Lad had not the remotest idea what to do with them, so he merely held them there until the noisily gabbling humans should decide to take the matter out of his care. McGillicuddy examined every sheep separately and found not a scratch or a stain on any of them. Then he told in effect what has here been set down as to Lad's exploit. As he finished his recital, McGillicuddy looked shamefacedly around him as though gathering courage for an irksome task. A sickly yellow dawn was crawling over the eastern mountains, throwing a ghostly glow on the shepherd's dour and craggy visage. Drawing a long breath of resolve, he advanced upon Lad, dropping on one knee, his eyes on the level, with the unconcernedly observant collies, McGillicuddy intoned. Laddie, you're a brave, brave dog. Ow, a canny dog. A sonsy dog, laddie. I ain't no met your match this side, o' Kirkcaldy Bray. Can you talk an old fool's apology for ringing ye, and an old fool's hand in gold fellowship? To pleasure me, laddie, winna yet ye let bygones be bygones and shake? Yes, the speech was ridiculous, but no one felt like laughing, not even the Wall Street farmer. The shepherd was gravely sincere, and he knew the lad would understand his burring words. And lad did understand. Solemnly he sat up. Solemnly he laid one white forepaw in the gnarled palm the kneeling shepherd outstretched to him. His eyes glinted in wise friendliness as he met the admiring gaze of the old man. Two born shepherds were face to face. Deep was calling unto deep. Presently McGillicuddy broke the spell by rising abruptly to his feet. Gruffly he turned to the master. "'There's nae wit, sir,' he growled. "'In spearin' will ye sell him, but—but but I compliment ye on him, none the less.' "'That's right, McGillicuddy's right,' boomed the Wall Street farmer, catching but part of his shepherd's mumbled words. "'Good idea.' He is a fine dog. I see that now. I was prejudiced. I freely admit it. A remarkable dog. What do you take for him? Or, better yet, how would you like to swap, even for Melisande? The master's mouth again flew ajar, and many sizzling words jostled each other in his throat. Before any of these could shame his hospitality by escaping, the mistress hurriedly interposed. Dear, we left all the house doors wide open. Would you mind hurrying back ahead of us, and seeing that everything is safe? And, 
Will you take Lad with you? End of chapter 7